2 Corinthians 1 verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Achaia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we're distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Renee's prayed, but how about I just quickly pray again? And yeah. Oh, Lord God, we pray that as we come to your word and as Steve brings it to us, that uh, you help us to listen well. We pray that by your spirit, you'd be challenging us and changing us. And we pray for the rest of these two days, the conversations that we have flowing out um, would, would come from what we know of you, your son, Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, our, um, our family has a love-hate relationship with reality TV. Uh, Nicole and the kids love it and I hate it. Yeah. It's um, the drama. It's, it's orchestrated and it's unnecessary, isn't it? I mean, sure, grab someone out of their family, stick them in a house with a bunch of strangers for a few weeks. Of course, there's going to be tears and all sorts of drama. And surely the drama is unnecessary as well. Uh, why do we need to feel sorry for these people? They signed up for the gig. They willingly went into it. Uh, Shannon from The Biggest Loser, is the only host on any of these shows that I think has any integrity. At least he sets the contestants straight. Shannon has given the Kovitz family and the Point Church our motivational one-liner. Suck it up, princess. Well, aren't you glad you've taken two days out of the hardship and the pain and the sweat and the tears of pastoral ministry to come and hear the preacher tell you to suck it up, princess? Uh, My advice for hardship is get a straw. Now, 
Uh, the reason why I've chosen a couple of passages. Today is 2 Corinthians 1, 1 to 11. Uh, tomorrow we're going to look at a passage a little bit later in 2 Corinthians. Because I believe 2 Corinthians is the place where we get to see Paul at his rawest. Uh, where we get to see the Apostle Paul really expose himself, in particular, the hardships of church planting and what it was like for him. Uh, and so there is a sense in which get a straw is good pastoral advice. Uh, the pattern that's been laid down for us from Christ himself and then the Apostle Paul, the first church planter, is that there is going to be hardships. We are going to suffer. But before we get to the motivational advice of a personal trainer, we need to be reminded of something very important. Our God is sovereign and he is good and he loves us. 2 Corinthians 1, 1 to 11. Dan's just read it for us. Have your Bible open. Uh, We're going to work through these verses. They're, They're worth running back to regularly. Uh, They're worth storing up in your heart because as we face our life and our ministry of hardship, of affliction, uh, we hear from a God who is a God of comfort. Uh, As we work through these verses this morning, I'm going to see, I'm going to structure it around four foundations. Firstly, a a foundation that we need a Christian worldview. Uh, Secondly, uh, we need to know that God is, is comfort. Thirdly, we need to pray. And fourthly, we need to trust God. So firstly, brothers and sisters, you and I need a Christian worldview. A worldview is simply an overall perspective from which we see life in the universe. Our worldview is our collection of beliefs about this world and how we see and interpret it. And as Christians... We know that we need to have a biblically informed worldview. Uh, let me show you from the first three verses of 2 Corinthians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is in Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Three things I want us to note from this opening. Firstly, Paul recognised his apostolic authority sat under God's authority. He was an apostle of Christ by the will of God. By the will of God. We no longer say things like, I'll see you tomorrow... God willing. Uh, I'll be at refresh next year, Lord willing. In the cut and thrust of everyday life, of life in all its mundaneness, we need to remember our God is sovereign. There's nothing that takes him by surprise. Everything takes place by the will of God. God is God. We are not. And that is good. Secondly, note that Paul called the church at Corinth the church of God. 
Again, there's this flavor of submission to God. This wasn't simply the church at Corinth. This was the church at Corinth of God. I'm not the pastor simply of the point, but the point, which is the church of God. Same you applied in your situation. Jesus Christ is our senior pastor. It is his church. And I think you guys can answer this question. How do we submit to his authority? Just tell me Bible and then we're good, okay? Uh, We're leading the church of God. We submit to Christ in his word. Thirdly, note well, the God focus of verses 2 and 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from our God and Father. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we have a biblical-shaped biblical worldview, we know that the best hope we can have for our people, for our friends, for our family, is that they have grace and peace from our God and Father. We know that in every situation, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know that in every situation he's worthy of praise and honour and glory. But brothers and sisters, I, I believe we need to recapture a biblical world view that puts God at the centre of everything. I was reminded of this. I got to hang out with some Tanzanian Christians in July this year and uh, just in every conversation, God would come up, whether you're at church or whether you're in the marketplace or the village, Buona Asafiwi, praise the Lord. It just regularly came up wherever you were. God was always on their lips because God was always on their hearts. It was a beautiful experience. Our Western education and, and all of our cultural and business successes, and I maybe even wonder whether... Many of us have been to some of the best Bible colleges in the world. It can do us a disservice in this respect. We become like the tower builders at Babel. And we stand back and we admire and say, look what I built. Look what I know. A Christian shaped by a biblical worldview says, thank you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. As we wait for the return of our king, we we need to keep a biblical worldview. The second thing we need to know, remember, second foundation is God is comfort. Have a look at verse 3 with me again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, 
For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. What words running through your head right now? Imagine someone from church comes to you in great distress. Maybe a loved one's died. Maybe they've lost their job. Maybe their spouse has committed adultery. What's the first thing you want to do? You want to comfort them. You want to grab them in a big hug and comfort them. In verse 3, God, our God, is called the God of all comfort. And then in the following verses, the word comfort is used ten times. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 7 are explosive verses. They take the doctrine of who God is and apply them into our lives. As J.I. Packer highlighted in his book years ago, in, uh, titled Knowing God, it's not just knowing about God, it's knowing God. And, and I'd add, and he probably does in the book as well, and being known by this God. The doctrines we rightly and rigorously study, uh, that God is sovereign, uh, that he's merciful, that he's steadfast, that he's patient, uh, are not doctrines we're just supposed to hold at arm's length and go, yes, that's true, I believe. Uh, They're doctrines that are to be applied into our lives and then flow out and flavour our ministries. God actually wants to comfort you. Extraordinary, isn't it? There are times when someone I care about is hurting and I'm desperate to take away the pain, but I'm not sure what to do or what to say. And there have been times when I've actually said or done the wrong thing and caused more pain. And some of you, we're not perfect. But our Father is. Our God is the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Do you know him? Dumb question, of course you do. We're church planters. We're teaching people about our God. We know him. Do you trust him? Do you believe him? When someone from your core group turns on you, is God your father of mercy and God of all comfort? When sadness becomes dark depression over many years, is God your Father of mercy and God of all comfort? When you try for years and years and still childless, is God your Father of mercy and God of all comfort? When a child leaves you in rebellion, Is God your Father of mercy and God of all comfort?
What's the thing at the moment when someone calls you a bigot for your view on marriage and sexuality? And when that someone is a group from within your church, is God your Father of mercy and God of all comfort? God is comfort. Do you know him? Yes. Do you trust him? Do you believe him? Hmm. Have you heard the term helicopter parents? Yeah. Helicopter parents are parents who are always hovering over their children, attempting to protect them from any and every harm. Uh, They don't let their children play with other children at the park. Uh, They're up to the school if their child has received a bad mark or, heaven forbid, their child's been disciplined by a teacher. Helicopter parents are those who who believe that if their child is exposed to any harm, they'll be scarred for life. Our Heavenly Father is not a helicopter dad. Please don't think that God's promise of comfort in these verses is protection from harm. Have a look at verse 8. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Brothers and sisters, don't be ignorant. God does not promise protection from affliction. You and I will suffer, and we do suffer. What are we supposed to do with our suffering? We run to our Father of mercy and God of all comfort. Suffering is supposed to make us realize we cannot rely on ourselves. Who is it that we rely on? Our God who raises the dead. Suffering is a time to live out our biblically informed worldview. We know that this life is not all there is. We know that this world is under the groaning of sin and sin's consequences. We know that one day Jesus is going to return and he's going to take us to a place of no more suffering. We know that it is suffering now, glory later. And to feel the full force of those words, we need to keep reminding ourselves daily of something that is very important. The worst tragedy we could ever face is meeting our maker still in our sin. The worst tragedy we could ever face is meeting our maker while still in our sin. When we die, whether that's today in a car crash or 50 years' time, and yeah, we tell our children before we go away on something like this, if mum and dad die, remember God is still good. It could happen. We go to face God for our judgment. 
And God is very clear on on this. If we are still in our sin, it is going to be horrible. Jesus says in Matthew 13, So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is God's commitment to our salvation. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, probably a memory verse for many of you, for our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our worst tragedy is perfectly dealt with by God in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, if God has our worst tragedy taken care of, sorted, nailed, so too every other tragedy we're going to come across. God is comfort. Okay. Foundation one, we need a Christian worldview. Foundation two, we need to know the God who is comfort. Our third foundation, we need to pray. Did you see that in verse 11? The great apostle Paul asked for prayer. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Show me a Christian who doesn't pray And I'll show you a Christian who is weak, either through their pride or their despair. Uh, The Christian life is one of utter dependence on our Father, and we show that dependence through prayer. When you're in trouble or need, do you ask for prayer? Us Westerners tend to either fight our fights purely on the physical plane and we try and work everything out in our own effort, or we lean towards the individualistic spectrum and just never ask for help, sort it all out on our own. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the Lord Jesus Christ asked his disciples to pray. The Apostle Paul regularly asked people to pray. Here's one of those verses. Brothers, Sisters, let's put aside our pride and our individualism and get better at praying and asking for prayer. Our worldview is spiritual just as much as it is physical. We believe in a God who hears and answers prayers. Let's pray and ask for prayer. And to finish, turn with me again to verse 8. We need to trust God. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers and sisters, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Things were looking so grim for Paul that it appeared death was just around the corner. And notice that Paul didn't put on 
the face of denial, oh, and I laughed in the face of death. No, he said he was utterly burdened beyond strength, and he shared that. And so please hear this. There is a time for weeping, and the Christian counsel at that moment is to weep with those who are weeping. Blokes, don't say, get a straw. Suck it up, princess. Apparently there's times where we're not supposed to do that. Tears will flow through the night, and sometimes the night will turn into days, perhaps even years. But the promise of God is that joy will come. That future joy is our comfort here and now. Did you notice I didn't fully read verse 9 then? So let's read the whole lot from verse 8. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. The Apostle Paul learnt this lesson well. Come with me over to chapter 4, verse 16. So, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction. I'm not sure what a light momentary affliction is for you. For me, it's something like a splinter. Now, it hurts. You pull it out and the moment is gone and all's good. Let me just remind us of what light momentary affliction was for Paul from chapter 11. With countless beatings, often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And no, that's not the youth group talk where we get everyone to giggle. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night and in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Brothers and sisters, we, we are waiting for that weight. And it's a weight of glory that's beyond all comparison when we finally get to see our maker face to face. And I hope, I hope I get to feel his breath on my face when he says, well done, good and faithful servant. 
want you to imagine uh, we're gathered for a picnic with the Corinthians and Paul's with us. Uh, church picnic. We're, we're having a great time and as any good church picnic would be, there, there's sport and I'm convinced it was basketball. Basketball's the sport that was in Garden of Eden and will be in heaven. And we're hot and we're sweaty and it's time for a swim to cool off. So there we are getting into our boardies. And we see Paul take off his clothes. And, and your child says, your mum, Dad, as we're all just staring at Paul's back, scarred, unimaginably. And the room, not the room, we're outside, is deathly quiet. And Paul picks up the cue and he goes, Oh, those light momentary afflictions, don't let that bother you. Let's go for a swim. I'm thankful to be here with you for a few days and uh, here's what's shaping my prayers for us. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Let's pray. Oh, Father, help us to trust you. Thank you for your grace and your mercy and your patience. Thank you in that your design and your sovereignty, you have released us for gospel ministry. Would you help us to persevere? Would you help us to see the things of this life as transient and to hold on to the things that are eternal? Now, would you help us to labour for your glory? And Father, we particularly pray this in those seasons, in those times where the affliction and the hardship and the pain and the suffering is real. Father, in the name of Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, would you help us to trust you? Amen.